Welcome to Gay Ambitions with your host, Paul Collington, featuring inspiring entrepreneurs and advocates sharing success stories and actionable career advice, bringing out the best in the business and the LGBT community. Hello, and welcome to the last day of April 2018. Today's podcast is brought to you again by Audible. Get a free audiobook download today and a 30-day free trial at www.gabookclub.com. There are over 180,000 titles to choose from with Audible for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. I'm excited about this interview that we recorded back in December for a couple of reasons. First, it was the thing that got this podcast going again, After we did this interview, we were like, yes, we're on the right track. Second is that this is the first interview where our new co-host, Kenny Wynn, is included on the podcast. The goal right now is really to produce consistent content every two weeks and to have on guests that can inspire us and educate us. I hope you enjoy this interview. Welcome to Gay Ambitions. This is Paul Collington. I'm your host, and I'm also excited to have Kenny Wynn here, who's my co-host. And today we are on a Skype call with Evan Lowe, who is a Democrat serving in the California State Assembly, and he represents the 28th District, which encompasses Silicon Valley and parts of the South Bay. He's a member of the California Legislative LGBT Caucus and California Asian and Pacific Islander Caucus. He's also the former mayor of Campbell, California, and is the co-founder and co-chair of the Tech Caucus within the California State Assembly. Evan, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Well, happy to be here. Thank you. So we first actually saw you at the GAPA runway show back in the summer. We were there in the audience and we saw you at the event. And it was around that time when we were considering picking up this project again. And so we were just kind of curious, how has the rest of the year of 2017 treated you? Uh, Well, I think similarly, as we all are attempting to do what we can in making sense of who currently occupies uh, the office of the president, it's important that we stay engaged. And so now more than ever, we must continue to be dedicated to the things that we care about. So it's not a going process, but I'm hopeful that we can continue to build on our community. Absolutely. And we want to get a little bit more into that topic as well. But Taking a step back, um, so we're, I think anybody that looks at you and your story is super impressed, your, your resume and your accomplishments at such a young age. So I'm just curious, taking a step back, did you always know that you wanted to go into politics or what was that moment maybe that gave you the confidence and the the path to move forward? Uh, Well, I'm a fourth generation Californian speaking more Spanish than I do Chinese and uh, my father is an optometrist and my uncle is an orthodontist and like any good Asian I was supposed to become a doctor, lawyer, an engineer or even accountant and so politics was never something that I thought I would be doing but rather it was a time in which uh, I felt the importance of being engaged in my community and uh, I recall that growing up I didn't necessarily see visible role models in the LGBT community or even in the Asian Pacific Islander community uh, that I felt I could relate to. And so um, being engaged in this process now and growing up when 
uh, President then George Bush proposed a constitutional amendment to make marriage between a man and a woman, uh, there was so much discrimination still occurring. So it was important for us to be engaged in our community because it's a very personal issue to so many of us. And as we think about the challenges that exist for so many of us, uh, these things typically reoccur. And so we must be part of a broader conversation about how we provide equality all across the board for so many people. That is so important. Yeah, there, there's been so many changes in the last few years, and we got to stay engaged. But thinking as a, as a private citizen, we were studying kind of like the California state legislature and what it does, and we were wondering if you could take us through maybe some of the, some of the issues that are typically addressed in your work and maybe some of the most important ones over the, over the last year that have come up. Well, my district is Silicon Valley, and so I uh, co-chair the Tech and Innovation Caucus in the state legislature, uh, and our focus is to ensure that we support the innovation economy and that we have the skill sets for the 21st century workforce uh, in ensuring that we are competitive not only as a state uh, but as a nation and that we continue to um, make sure that we have the skill sets that are in line with uh, the workforce needs. Uh, in addition, I chair the LGBT Legislative Caucus, uh, which means that uh, we are an organization of eight legislators who identify as LGB or T in the California State Legislature, which, by the way, is the largest uh, makeup of state legislatures, uh, state legislators who are LGBT in any other state in the nation. Uh, so we're wow. focused on ensuring that we have basic fundamental rights and equality. Uh, for all people with respect to health access, housing, uh, these types of services. Uh, and then finally, uh, within that of uh, education, uh, by way of background, uh, I'm passionate about higher education and I also taught at De Anza Community College here in Silicon Valley. And so it's important that we have the type of education, to, uh, as I mentioned again, to be competitive in the workplace. So those are the main areas of focus. And of course, we want to be the blueprint for the entire nation with respect to uh, the type of policies that we want to see uh, that make sense uh, for the not only the millennial generation, but good public policies that demonstrate inclusion versus exclusion. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious, during your time running for politics, did you come across an organization called the Victory Fund at all? Yes. Yeah, I, I love that group. I was So when I started this podcast, I was in Denver, and that year I happened to be, the Victory Fund happened to have their conference in Denver. So at that event, I got to actually interview Stuart Milk, a politician from Maine named Phil Bartlett, and also the chief marketing officer of the Victory Fund at the time, Jeff Spitko. That was kind of my first segue into interviewing politicians, and I think that that organization is super inspiring and does some great work. Yes, um, I uh, was very familiar with the organization over a decade ago when I first ran for city council in Campbell, and they were supportive. And uh, I support, I love the organization so much that I served on the board of the organization for two years and subsequently have uh, been very active and engaged with the organization. And uh, it's because of the work of the people that you just mentioned that I feel comfortable enough to be in an environment where I can be truthful, authentic, and being uh, a true as an openly gay man serving in public service. 
Absolutely. And I, I would argue you've definitely paved the way for others to jump into the political arena, too. For those who might be considering running for office at some point, what would you say is a, is a good way to kind of break into the arena as an, as an LGBT man? And what challenges still exist, even though we've, we've overcome a lot of obstacles so far? Well, I think some of the things that's important to think about is uh, being true to yourself and being authentic. That's first and foremost very important. And then making sure that the um, the community is invested uh, in the individual and that vice versa, the individual is invested in the community. And why is that of key importance? And what does one hope to accomplish and achieve? So it's not just about empty tokenism in which we would just want to have LGBT representation. Right. Rather, what, do, what does it mean to be a public servant? And that being LGBT is just one of the attributes uh, that makes an individual who they are. Wow. Hi, Evan. This is Kenny. Hi there. <laughs> I love your message of authenticity. Um, I think that's something, especially if someone who's coming out, or it doesn't matter what stage they're in in life, whether they're newly coming out, where they've been out for 10 years, or they're at an older age, I think that message really connects to people, uh, especially for our community. So I was wondering, you know, were there times where it had been difficult or you ever doubted your own identity as first as a gay man and also as an Asian American? You're a minority, which I can also relate to that have there been difficult times when those identity made you doubt yourself yes most certainly um and even continually um when when when, you know back in in when i first ran and was it was out um there was a challenge between you know within the asian american community uh that certainly tended to be a little bit more conservative with respect to the issues of the lgbt community and so Certainly, it was such that do, do I do I hide being who I am when I go to traditional Chinese or Asian American functions and events and supporters? Do I lose supporters by championing LGBT issues? And the answer is yes, I most certainly did. Hmm. And but it's rather about being true to yourself. And once you're authentic and true to yourself, then nothing else really matters. You can, you know, you'll, you'll develop a thick skin, and nothing really bothers you as much because you've sort of dealt with it. I mean. For the LGBT community, what else did they deal with when you had laws that discriminated based on who you are as an individual? Same thing as being a minority, um, as a, as an Asian American and, and as a fourth generation uh, Chinese American. The Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882, which prohibited migration from China to the United States uh, by no fault of, of ourselves, or the Alien Land Law, which prevented Asian Islanders from owning property. Uh, these are no different from any other community, frankly, whether it be women's groups or those that are undocumented, Latinos, African-Americans. So that's why it's important for us to think about the LGBT community as another part of the civil rights movement and that we must be stronger together. And so when you see discrimination towards one group, uh, we must all stand up and fight for each other. Yeah, there's uh, a great quote where it says, I, I don't know who it is, but, you know, when when one group is discriminated against, like all groups is discriminated against, and until what, until we liberate 
you know, our LGBT community or someone, some other struggling group, we will never be free until we're all liberated. Um, so I love that message. I found an article of you a long time ago, and I think it was on the NBC, and I'm not sure if the, the um, if you can talk more about it, but it speaks specifically again, uh, about like our experience and the discrimination we might face as a minority. And it was a time when you were about to go to Oktoberfest, uh, maybe, and then you were confronted by a woman who, you know, pointed a finger at you and, you know, used maybe an expletive and um, you pretended like it was like a, a gun and she told you to go back to China and or you would die. Like, do you remember that incident? And if you, uh, if you do, can you talk more about that incident and, you know, how that impacted you? Yeah, I mean, there's a, a situation in which I was walking with... Uh, a significant other at the time and uh, just walking as bystanders and uh, a woman just started uh, chastising uh, me and saying uh, very discriminatory things with respect to sexual orientation and um, and were you guys like holding hands or like how did she know in that no, moment no, we were wow holding hands. We were just walking two males walking <laughs> in downtown oh my gosh and um, and, um it was someone I was dating at the time, and it was so strange, just out, out of the open, just out of nowhere. Uh, but these stories are not, um, this is not rare. This is, these are things that happen. I still get correspondence to my public inbox talking about um, my sexual orientation and, and people being quite hateful. Hmm. And so that's why I think it's important that we continue to uh, talk about ourselves and about our existence as a people mm-hmm. and that we m- must be out and proud uh, so that we can change the hearts and minds of, of individuals. Yeah, I love that. I, I feel like someone looking on the outside just like might think that because we're gay, we're like flamboyant and we're putting ourselves out there. But it's more than just, you know, like being flamboyant and um, looking like we're having a good time is the fact that you, we've hidden in shame, you know, in the shadows as if it's something we can't even talk about. The fact that we have LGBT pride is an opportunity for us to put ourselves out there to be seen and to be heard for who we really Really are so um, it's such an important thing to have, and uh, uh, and especially especially in your position to have like a, a political influence on policy that affects our everyday life. That is such a such a critical piece of with that. With respect to ambition, since we're the gay ambition blog, um, how do you feel about ambition? And do you consider yourself an ambitious person? Uh, I think when you think about ambition, you think about drive and passion and what motivates an individual. What, in other words, what gets us to wake up every day and go to work or find purpose. And for me, uh, at least where I'm at my current uh, position now, I derive purpose and pleasure out of the desired outcome for the things that we fundamentally care about. Um, because growing up, growing up, we always talked about the, the civil rights movement and that it was done. Women's suffrage, that was done. African-American experience, that was done. We talk about LGBT rights in California. You might think, oh, everything on the books were all equal, when in fact, 
2017, these things have rolled back pretty significantly. So that's what I'm driven by, and that drive provides ambition to continue to serve in a capacity in which we're we're, we're trying to make change uh, for 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 the betterment again of inclusion versus exclusion. How do we demonstrate the best of our abilities and demonstrating love and compassion and understanding uh, versus the, um, the 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 fear and the hate towards differences. And so that's what I think is really important to focus on. Yeah, and it sounds like you're really good at your job. And in 2017, it uh, it seems like you had the most bills signed by any member of the state assembly by Governor Jerry Brown. How are you so good at your job, Evan? <laughs> well, um, I think it's so important to think about the, uh, the capacity of staff. Um, I'm only as good as my team, and I have been so honored and fortunate to have a great team and great staff to accompany me in so many different things that we're working on. And so that's what I would attribute that level of success on. And again, to me, this isn't necessarily a job, but it's uh, something I'm passionate about. It's an obligation and a duty. And when you see it like that, then I think it just becomes something that's incorporated in your in your fundamental fabric of your of your lives. Mm, I love that. A humble servant ready to serve. And then I think one more question for me is the fact that you you had a recent interview with Cheryl Sandberg at the Facebook headquarters. And she'd alluded to the fact that girls get called bossy four times more than boys. And so there are, in our culture, in our society, an expectation for girls to be thin and nice and modest and not be heard and not to be in leadership position. And I also feel the same way that boys, for boys growing up to men, um, become hardened and they can't express compassion and a sense of vulnerability. And you alluded to the importance of having compassion, even in politics. Do you feel like in politics that, you know, you have to put on a mask and, you know, especially for men, like masculinity is um, is aggression and control and dominance. How do you feel about that in politics and in your everyday life and job? Yeah, I think, um, even you, look, when you talk about, you say the word politics or politician, it's, it derives, it, it gives a sense of uh, a dirty word or people mistrust or don't appreciate the occupation. And I think uh, public service is given a bad rap, whereas public service can be seen as a noble duty, uh, which is that of public service, and that it is an honorable profession, and that it is fundamentally to serve, servitude. And when you think about some of the attributes and characteristics that you mentioned, most certainly there are individuals that may demonstrate some of those things, which is why I talked to you earlier about the importance of integrity um, being authentic and just being who you are because uh, we are a reflection of society uh, and that's how the democratic process works um, and so I have seen a wide variety of individuals um, who are motivated by, by different issues but I think we will be better served when we have uh, a, a better sense of individuals who demonstrate the qualities, characteristics, and traits of, again, integrity and respect of the institution and of servitude 
and individuals who are magnanimous in their abilities to serve. And that's what I'm hopeful to see encounter encountering the the opposite, which is that of sort of you see House of Cards or uh, some other uh, type of, of, of quote unquote leader in some of those traits. I think I saw on an interview somewhere, it was either Scandal or House of Cards, and they were like, we can't even top like what is going on in the current White House, so we don't even know what to do. <laughs> I think it was House of Cards that said that. Sometimes it's pretty unbelievable what goes on. I wanted to ask you, Evan, about the big race last week where Doug Jones became a senator from Alabama, and I, th- I feel like that's a big celebration for the Democratic Party and I'm also a Democrat. And I was hearing on the news that, so in order for Democrats to flip the Senate in 2018, they have to take two states. So they have to take Arizona, Nevada, and Tennessee, two out of those three states. So I'm just curious if you have an opinion about what Democrats need to do to win more House and Senate seats next year. Well, I think we need to organize and get out. Uh, when you look at the turnout and the model, it, it was about, okay, are, are people disaffected and are, are Republicans staying at home? That certainly could be the case. But we also yeah. saw the importance of engagement and uh, how do we ensure that millennials and disenfranchised communities who frankly are struggling to put food on the table, maybe working two jobs or have other challenges to actually vote, or not as informed and educated or have the capacity or the time to do that. And so that's what we must do. We must uh, message accordingly to ensure that we provide an opportunity and the uh, will to to vote and to be part and to participate. That's why I'm so proud of Alabama and seeing what happened because every vote does count and you can see those results. So that's what we must do. Continue to inspire and message accordingly that um, everyone has an obligation uh, to their society, that we must all participate in this process. Um, people are apathetic and people feel like uh, they did not want to participate, nor that it felt like it had an impact. But rather, you can see the importance of when we don't participate, when we don't get involved, uh, we lose and our communities will really hurt from that. Absolutely. And I totally agree with you about the apathy level. And I feel like sometimes the news is so dramatic on a day-to-day basis, like cable news, like, oh, the president tweeted this or this happened or this scandal's going on. How do how do people at a local level kind of get involved? Like, we want to make sure that we turn out to vote, we support candidates, maybe go to our city council. What recommendations would you have for somebody that wants, maybe they don't want to run for politics, but they do want to be a part of their community and they want to learn how they can contact their local representative and get involved in the discussion? Yeah, there are boards and commissions that they can be involved in. They can join their local Democratic club. They can be part of the League of Women Voters. Uh, there are many different opportunities for people to be engaged and involved. Uh, so there are many different structures that provide that opportunity, but maybe they maybe they um, look search on Facebook for some organizations that uh, they can participate in and uh, that they can be active on. So there's many different ways. Not everyone needs to run for office, but just serving in your community and and being engaged in the process is what's important. 
It's really good feedback. And then finally, I just have one more question, and I'm wondering who inspires you, or do you have any quotes that you've heard that you kind of live your personal life and your professional life by that that guide you? Well, I I I turn around to say, um, in terms of inspiration or drive, I'd say rather than than inspiration, uh, the president of these United States right now in the office um, gives me drive to be that much more engaged in the process, um, even more so than I currently am. And what it has done is demonstrated how fragile our democracy is yeah. and how fragile our communities are and so how, how easy it is to be seduced by the negativity that is human nature but rather we must be intentional and purposeful at demonstrating the best of our abilities to be engaged and to uh, work hard to be interconnected to each other and to, to love one another and to respect differences and to respect difference of opinions. So uh, that's what I would use right now as we are having this conversation in December of uh, 2017 and thinking about uh, what is our obligation and what is our role in society. Totally. Thank you for that. That that's inspiring in itself. And yeah, I mean, if if good things can come from what's happening, I think that is exactly on the money. Finally, we want to link when we post this to your website and your social media. Where where can folks best find you online? Yeah, on, on Facebook, on, they can look at the search for Evan Lowe or also on Twitter. They can also follow on Twitter, same thing, Evan Lowe. Uh, those are uh, different handles that they can follow for sure. And then, and then a little snippet, I think, of the future. Um, in 2016, New York Magazine identified you as a potential U.S. presidential candidate in 2024. That's a long ways from now, um, Evan. But um, is there any prospect of that in the future? No, I, I am thoroughly passionate of the position and the jobs that I'm doing now. And I am hopeful that it won't just similarly be um, myself, but that we can expand the pool of opportunity for everybody else and encourage everybody to see public service as a noble occupation and that we all have to play our parts. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, I'm so um, proud um, to see someone in a leadership position, especially for you. It's, uh, this interview is uh, particularly poignant for me. Uh, just seeing someone like me on a political stage, having a voice and um, of being of good moral character and standing for justice and equality and authenticity. So I thank you for um, your service to our local community and our, con- our, our, our country. Well, we're all this together, so thank you very much for the work that you're doing as well.